0: All right, welcome to this episode of our show, True Data Ops. I'm your host, Kent Graziano, the Data Warrior. In each episode, we try to bring you a podcast covering all things Data Ops with the people that are making Data Ops what it is today. If you've not done so already, be sure to look up and subscribe to dataops.live YouTube channel, where you can find all the recordings from our past episodes. So if you missed any of last season's episodes, now's your chance to catch up. And my guest today is a longtime colleague and friend, Sean Rogers. Sean is an internationally recognized analyst, strategist, thought leader, speaker, and author specializing in artificial intelligence, machine learning, analytics, business intelligence, and cloud technologies. Uh, He co-founded the online community BI Network and was VP of dmreview.com, one of the first online forums for the data management and data warehousing space, currently he's leading the international analyst firm Bark in their U.S. operations. Welcome to the show, Sean. Hey, Kent. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm uh, I'm glad to be here. It's a good topic. Yeah, yeah, and I uh, guess I should also mention. I think you know we met probably through Boulder BI Brain Trust, right? Probably, Through yeah. Claudia Imhoff back yep. in the day, and you you still live in Boulder, right? In Boulder, Colorado.
1: I live just outside of Boulder. It's a great place to be.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I. I as you know, I used to live in Colorado. It's such such a beautiful place. And for some bizarre reason, for you know a, a little bit of data warehousing trivia for the world here is back in the. Uh, the mid nineties, when I got started in data warehousing, it seemed like Denver was like the epicenter for it because you had Bill Inman lived in the area. Claudia lived in the area. You lived in the area. I lived in the area. Dan Lindstedt lived there and, you know, developed Data Vault uh, at Lockheed Martin in Denver. And, you know, we all met there kind of through this this association, the the Boulder BI Brain Trust. Um, it, was, uh, it was pretty exciting. None of us ever figured out why. What, what? why that was why did we all end up living in Colorado the joke was (laughs) there was something in the water for sure absolutely so um you know obviously I know your background you know my background all that but you know some of our listeners probably don't so if you wouldn't mind giving us a little bit of your background uh beyond what I I said in the intro and tell us a little bit also about bark and what they are and, and what you're doing there yeah, well, you did a great job on
1: on the background. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. Bark, as you mentioned, is an international analyst firm. I run the U.S. operations for the company. I specialize in the topics you mentioned, AI and ML and data and analytics and cloud. Uh, and of course, those things are very fun and top of mind right now. Um, my role is to extend the reach of the company. Uh And uh, the company itself, Bark, has been in the industry for nearly 25 years, and we have uh, over 20 analysts covering the data and analytics space. So this is our specialty. We pay a lot of attention to topics like data, data management, uh, so data ops fits uh, right in there. So um, it's uh, it's fantastic. As a company, we do a lot of research. We do advisory with end-user companies and vendors alike, and we have events around the world. So, yeah.
0: Cool. Yeah, I actually get to participate in a bark event in Europe uh, a couple of years back. I think it was actually during COVID, so unfortunately I didn't get to go in person. Um, but if I remember correctly, it seems like they do the in-person one at, at like a castle in Germany. If Ooh, I remember correctly, that's yeah. a great one. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Uh, I believe the one you're
1: referencing is held in Würzburg, Germany. So yeah, I've uh, I have been to that castle. It's quite beautiful. So uh, in October we have a retreat coming up again in person, which seems to be the new uh, direction everybody's going. So the online stuff is kind of uh, somewhat sunset these days, and everybody's kind of back to being together, which is
0: nice. So. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, jump in here. So I want to start off with, you know, what are you seeing? I mean, you're, you're working with an analyst firm. You've kind of been an analyst on and off. You've worked for some vendors over the years as well. But what are you seeing today in, in the data world? You know, what's, what's, what's the hot thing that you were working on? And, uh, and if you want to go a little off to the edge, what's hype? I want to say the word uh, generative AI before you do,
1: uh, and just get that out there today. You can't have a conversation in this space uh, without that term coming up. But AI in general um, is impacting the data world in really interesting ways, Uh, automating uh, the work that companies are doing and helping things move faster. And I, I have to say, Keeping up with the technology hasn't been this hard since uh, Big Data and Hadoop kind of premiered on the scene. And 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 I'll also add that this is five times harder uh, and faster uh, than that topic. Uh, so I, I think that that's probably one of the most exciting things. I think the other bit is, is when I talk to end users uh, and their companies, they're trying to figure out how to mechanically or technologically keep pace. And that's maybe... Hmm may not be new, but in a weird way, it's hot. It's everybody's trying to figure out, can I do these cool new things with the things I have? And, in some instances, unfortunately, the answer is probably no, is no, <laughs> you cannot. And, <laughs> and uh, I, I even had a, a, a chat with a customer that I worked with as an analyst a few years back. And uh, I said, you may recall during that meeting that I suggested that you focus here, here, and here. And the here, here, and here part was in their data foundation it, in data quality and MDM practices and access and integration and and. You know, those things weren't necessarily the sexiest projects in the world to focus on. And so they often got put on the table, right? They got paused. And now companies are paying a price for that strategy from a few years ago. So, um, yeah, I I think that, uh, you know, new things that have happened is, uh, you know, real time has become very common. Uh, Whereas it used to be an outlier, uh, open source continues Mm -hmm. to power innovation in really cool ways. And that can go right back to uh, generative AI and AI in general with all these great open source models and available public models. So, yeah, it's kind of an exciting time to be in the space, but I haven't done so much reading in many years. Um, (laughs) If you miss a few days, you miss a few announcements. So that's that's the fun part
0: yeah yeah definitely definitely harder to keep up than than it was in the past and you know that could be that we're slowing down because we are getting a little older but uh (laughs) makes it much harder to keep keep up than when we were 20. that's true that's true Uh, and i think there's a curve there somewhere that we probably could have a data chart that shows something a correlation there but (laughs) i hear that (laughs) so um from from your perspective what what is data ops and really how does it fit into this evolving landscape with gen ai and everything else that's happening you know it, there's a lot of different ways to describe it but i i thought about uh
1: you know that this topic would uh, the direct question would come up and for me it's about powering analytics in a uh, in a new world of data and so it's kind of both ends of it right data ops is what enables us to do things better and faster uh, with more data uh, in a more cohesive governed way. Uh- time to value sort of way. And that time to value thing has always been stuck in my head and has been a long time. You talked about uh, that group we belong to in Boulder. Dr. Richard Hackathorn was a member Mm -hmm. of that group. And and Richard did a lot of writing on uh, this topic of intersecting with the value of a decision. And if it had too much latency, the value dissipated over time. Data ops is what allows us to keep pace with value. Does that... Am I making sense?
0: So, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Well, that makes sense. it makes sense to me. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, because that, you know, kind of leads right to the, my next question is where do you see automation playing a role and whether or not, you know, is that critical to keeping up the pace and delivering the value? We'll go, go with that particular approach.
1: If you're not addressing the upside of automation in your architecture and in your data streams and in your business processes today, uh, you won't be successful. You won't keep pace from a scale standpoint. So I look back on the data quality articles or the MDM articles or the data management pieces that we published in our print magazine in the early nineties. And it was, it was, it, it, it covered the important parts. And oddly enough, it's still very relevant today. It's, uh, I, I make a joke a lot when I get to talk on, on programs like this, that uh, everything old is new again. new again. I figured you were gonna it, say that. <laughs> and I've said that, I say it a lot, but it it really is true. It's uh, in order to move fast, in order to meet the analytic needs and demands today, in order to innovate with AI, you have to have an incredible data foundation. And if you don't, things are just not going to go the way you want them to go. It's, I feel like maybe in the older days, it was an opinion of us experts, us people who supposedly understood data, but it was, you know, my point of view is, I almost, nowadays it's evolved to a fact-based piece of information. If you don't have the right foundation, and data ops is part of that, um, you don't get to do the fun things, period.
0: Yeah, well, and I, I think some of that might be the... Um you know, the old hindsight is 2020 is we've now got several decades behind us where we said, this is, this is true. You should listen to what we're saying. And then a bunch of people didn't. And now they're going, why is this stuff not working? Oh, we need to do data modeling. (laughs) What? Data modeling? Isn't data modeling dead? No, there's been, there's been a resurgence in all of this data quality, data modeling, um, Data, you mentioned data governance as part of data ops and that that's huge. I mean, especially with things yeah. like GDPR and CCPA. I mean, you have got so much data, if you don't have governance and you yeah. haven't figured out how to automate some of that governance, there's just, you, you're gonna end up violating a rule somewhere. <laughs> the basic GDPR
1: stuff like right to know and understand why a decision was made uh, on your loan application or your mortgage application many, many companies, perhaps even most still here in the U S especially are unable to answer cohesively a question like that because they don't have the governance. They don't have the data lineage. They don't really fully understand exactly how they made that decision on that Sean Rogers applicant. And they have a very hard time of explaining it. And, uh, you know, the, that governance aspect and the environmental aspect of managing your environment, uh, I mean, these are, they're, they're, they're things that have to happen. And, uh, and that's kind of the common chorus that I tell my end users when I talk to them is, you know, how are your data foundations? How's, are you doing data ops? How are you, what does that mean to you guys? And, you know, and if you listen carefully, you usually get the first part of data ops, like, well, yeah, we do a lot of ELT, ETL. I mean, yeah. And it's like, so let me explain to you that that's one part of the journey you know where are you at with the governance where are you at with collaboration are you enabling self-service all of those things become pretty uh key to companies that are trying to figure it out
0: yeah so so where do you you know where do you think we should expect to see more automation i mean i guess we, we could probably have a discussion on where should we see more automation but you know where where do you expect we'll we'll see some more automation evolve here in the next year or two
1: I'm seeing a lot of really cool stuff at the metadata layer. Um, and, uh, and I think data stewards in general, who've lived a very manual lifestyle for a very long time as subject matter experts on their data, they'll continue to play a role there. But I do think that uh, automation and artificial intelligence are sticking their nose in that space pretty hard. Um, it uh I look at a lot of the big cloud platforms on an ongoing basis. Uh, we're in the midst here at Bark of doing a, a data management research project, end user driven, uh, and looking at data catalogs and, uh, and analytic databases and data platforms and cloud data platforms. And they're all sort of streamlining an awful lot of the AI automation. In that data aspect of their platform, making it easier, making it faster, creating data pipelines to feed analytics in a smarter way. Gen AI plays a role, but it's more content creation and narrative, and and you know, and and I think that's that's really cool stuff at the other end of the spectrum. But the automation stuff that's happening around data is just fantastic. Whether it be uh, compliance uh, based, I, I just saw a neat uh, governance tool uh, in a. Platform Platform recently that would flag for the user, the uh, self-service user, uh, that you're about to touch uh, data that is governed under GDPR. Uh, and and I thought, and they do it in the process. Mm. While the individual is working to put together uh, a project using a particular data source, and they immediately in the platform flag and say, hey, just so you know, there's some rules around this data. Or they're doing things like dynamic masking and things of that nature, which helps keep the end user out of trouble. We couldn't do this stuff twenty years ago, so this is exciting.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that and the you know, the dynamic data masking and row access policies yeah. when Snowflake yeah. added that into the, their platform is like, oh, this is, this is great. This is this is what we've needed for you know a couple of decades. Um, you know, I forgot pretend. who I
1: was talking to. Kent, you know that
0: was the, one of the vendors that was in my head
1: while I was talking because you know, Snowflake, Galation, and a few other really great groups are in.
0: What, that. That's what I yeah. figured. Yeah, yeah, and, no, and they're it's doing smart stuff. Yeah, and it, it's ex- exciting to see that. I remember uh, shortly after uh, Frank Slootman joined Snowflake, and we had one of our uh, Black Diamond councils. They came back from that, and it's like every across the board, every one of our customers said asked what are you doing about governance we need better controls we need more governance we need more security um and that you know that dynamic data masking was was part of it and some of those technologies that are in there especially when you started talking about data sharing and data marketplaces it's like okay now we're we're opening up you know the old open the kimono but yeah you know not everybody has the right to see everything that's in there and you know how do you Again, part of the data ops is how do you make sure that when you're building, we'll use the modern term data product, when you're building a data product and you're selling it on a data marketplace, how do you make sure that the data that's in there is legally viewable and usable by the consumer and making sure that the stuff that isn't really isn't, right? That it is masked. Or obfuscated, or just flat, not there, that it's filtered out. Right. Um, we used to do some of that in the Oracle world years ago with uh, uh, row based filters, where, you know, I did when I worked at Denver Public Schools, we uh, wrote reports for uh, the principals. Well, they are only allowed to see the students that were registered in their school. And we were able to do that. So it, it knew who the principal was. And automatically filtered the data. There was no way, no matter how they went into the database, even if they knew how to get into SQL Plus and write a query themselves, that they would ever see students that weren't in their school. And that took a lot of work back then. Yeah.
1: To get that to do. Well, it did, right? It wasn't nearly as, I I, I don't want to call it simple, but it um, accessible, wasn't nearly as accessible. Uh, back then for sure. And, you know, the other bit that we haven't really talked about, you know, we talked about governance a bit and, and, you know, this idea of marketplaces and collaborating with data, but, you know, kind of in the middle is sort of this idea, as you well know, and, and have written a lot about is testing and monitoring. The dynamics of data are changing in ways that they've never changed before. And one of my favorite examples is asking companies, what did you do to evolve with the data in 2020? And sometimes, and sometimes, and I tip my head on purpose because sometimes you'll get an executive, what do you mean 2020, like specifically well, as we all know, you know, the pandemic hit in March, data changed dramatically. Do you have the ability to monitor how your data is evolving? Can you test uh, the systems that are in place that are, you know, around your data? For clarity and accuracy, and can you test the models and all of that type of stuff? And it's, it's again, that's where the new game lays or lies. It's, uh, you have to be able to do those more sophisticated things. But I think closing the loop is a newer thing. uh, And data ops brings that to the surface in the sense of uh, I think a lot of the data work that had been done in the past had been project based a single shot into the dark i'm done with that now i'm moving on to something else and it's like if you're not holistically paying attention to your data ecosystem i i i mean especially with disruptive events like a global pandemic is a is a good example oh, yeah. but it's you know the normal examples are seasonality and things of that nature that affect how our data evolves so
0: yeah. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, to a certain extent, you know, prior to the pandemic, I, I know I certainly worked with organizations, Snowflake customers at the time that hadn't really thought about that before. And then when they started looking at it, they realized, well, even their data before the pandemic had <laughs> things like seasonality to it that they hadn't been accounting for. Yeah. So uh, you've kind of moved us right into the, the conversation about the seven pillars of true data ops. Cause one of the ones that, you know, <laughs> what you're talking about reminds me of the, uh, the pillar around automated regression testing and monitoring—that that is a critical component in order to, you know, to manage this stuff. Because like you said, things are changing. It's like you test it. Yeah, we used to do what? What did we call it? it unit testing, right? And then you had integration testing, and then you moved it to production, and then stuff breaks. Well, yeah. Why did? How did that happen? Well, because we weren't continuing. Because we were testing the code, but we never tested the data that much. Right. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, yeah, I've had conversations with companies where you'll hear a sentence and it's a very it's a small slip but they'll say, "Well, we did data quality." <laughs> past tense. Right. Like, yeah, we did that project. You know, we spent a half million dollars and and did a bunch of work on data <clears throat> quality. Really? When did you do that? 4 years ago.
0: Okay. And nothing's changed since. <laughs>
1: All, all right um you know at the pace that people add data sources at the uh, expansiveness of the data ecosystem for companies uh, like we, we like we said automation and kind of a full loop approach has to be a big part of it so
0: yeah, yeah so uh, let's talk about the seven pillars a little bit uh sure. would, which ones jump out at you
1: i i'm a big fan of the 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 uh, one that talks about collaboration and self service um, because it speaks an awful lot to the idea of true scalability on data, right through your analytic process. Um, it hidden in those words of, of you know, self service and collab that means there's uh, templates that means there's reusable processes that means that there is uh pre-approved governed data sources there's there's a way for me to move quickly and more collaboration around uh data roles i think is also something that's often been kind of overlooked I, i think we're all really familiar with you know the stories of data scientists who work in isolation down the hallway uh, and, and, you know, prying open data doors that they probably shouldn't and, and accessing and, you know, and so on. And so You get a lot more from these types of functions when you have a collaborative platform or a collaborative organization uh, where you can reuse uh, successful things from uh, people that have come before you and and understand data in a smart way. So, you know, I think that's one of my favorites. Um, You know, and then there's this other one in the group that talks about continuous integration and yeah, ci cd yeah yeah and and ci cd is i just think it's like a must now and this goes back to what we were just talking about the dynamics of data evolve very quickly if you're not constantly integrating and bringing new data in and and understanding that new data as it arrives you start falling off you fall behind competitively and it's a it's i i said it earlier i said one of the things that you know has changed in our world is like real time is like kind of it's getting more common and well, you can't do real time without that type of uh, data ops functionality. If you're not continuously integrating data um, you're going to have a hard time making the best decisions, the, the most uh, informed decisions. And, you know, it's, it's simple stuff all the way to the sophisticated. I gave a simple explanation a long time ago that if a company was smart, an airline was smart enough to continuously integrate my Twitter feed, when I call a particular leading airline to voice my opinion about being stranded in Chicago, they would know already. And they would know I'm angry because they would have gotten a sentiment score about me. And as the phone rings at the call center, it says, who oh, he's upset. He's been tweeting from O'Hare airport for an hour. And it's those types of little
0: functions that allow you to optimize your business and treat your customers differently. Well, and and they should presumably also know that you're a frequent flyer and that you've been using their service for, you know, a couple of decades and they they might be risking losing you as a customer right now if they don't, they don't pick up the phone and, and figure out, a solution for you. <laughs> yeah, it's a, you don't want to come off with a,
1: you know who I am,
0: uh, sort of thing
1: on the phone. But, you know, it's nice when uh, the person on the other end knows that I've flown over two million miles on that airline. Right, exactly. And, uh, you know, it, it helps at least them to understand the importance of a customer uh, as opposed to a, a tourist flyer who flies right. them. once. Right. And
0: that's there. that uh, calculation we call lifetime value of a customer, exactly. right? Okay. So I can go back, it's like, oh, yeah. my goodness, look at what we've made from this guy over the last two decades i totally and, agree yeah wow. yeah and wow. they you gotta project it for It's like what happens to our revenue stream if we lose him might it not impact. be so good yeah it, it's interesting you pulled out the cicd thing and that's one of the things that we uh you know kind of borrowed from the devops world sure. it, when uh you know justin and guy who who founded the dataops.live company, when they first started talking to me, they're you know, Snowflake partners, it's like they kept asking, it's like, what is it that Snowflake customers keep asking about? And it's like that was like number one is people like, how do we do CI C D on Snowflake? How do we do CI C D really with data? Was what they were really asking. It's like we kind of know how to do it with code. Right. We we got Jenkins and we got all these other things that we our, our developers know how to do it with the code and they know how to put stuff in Git and do check in and check out and branches. But How do we do that with data? And that's why it's data ops and not DevOps, right? It's not uh, it it's a little different and it's a little trickier. As you've been alluding to, you know, the data is changing and, you know, you've got to integrate new data And if you're trying to, you know, make decisions in real time you know, with or without an A.I right? The data's got to be current. The data's got to be good. The data's got to be governed. You know, how do we do that? Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's really kind of where, where the, the concepts of true data ops come in and, and as an approach.
1: Right. Right. And, you know, and a lot of the decisions that you're talking about, these automated ones are purely <laughs> just rule-based and they're not AI-driven, per se. They're just simply a, seri- a good work process. And process is a big part of data ops, right? It's technology and, uh, and, uh, and the processes that you lay in there. DevOps uh, and the agility that are around those types of things are kind of tucked underneath inside that world of uh, data ops. It's a good thing to have as a uh, part of the recipe overall.
0: Yeah, so... Um- do you think it's actually possible to for folks to deliver value at the scale we're dealing with today if you're not adopting some kind of a data ops approach or mindset? No. Next question. But it goes
1: back to what I said a minute ago. I think back in the day, we ta- we had a lot of opinions about what you should do with data to speed your environment and to do things right. It really feels fact-based to me at this point. It's like, if you don't, you can't. And it's very simple. If you have half, then you kind of get half. It's what you put in is what you get out. And uh, data ops is, I think it's it's a critical component of a high-speed, impactful uh, business that's dependent on being data-driven and analytics-driven.
0: Right, and, and driving that with at least parts of it with some form of automation yeah right yeah, yeah. trying because yeah. I, I know i know people that are still out there trying to do it manually that you've got data engineers that are manually doing check-in and check-out and going through manual checklists and processes and executing their tests manually uh, which of course means that sooner or later those things aren't going to get run right, right. You're not you know, automated re automated regression testing right it's not just doing some regression testing and remembering oh yeah I probably should go check that cuz we had a new load of data yesterday so we probably should go run a couple of tests just to be sure oh well, no that should be happening automatically and exactly yeah the the business you know part of the self-service and collaboration is the business person ought to be able to look and say you know is there a data quality score is there some sort of monitoring that says yeah okay data loaded 24 hours ago check 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 you know it passed it passed all the tests you can use this data with confidence right if you're doing a self-service platform Uh, one of the things i wanted to point out on the self-service thing is that um, when we first started talking self-service which was probably a couple of decades ago now people thought that meant just giving everybody access to all the data to use whatever tool they wanted and that's not what we're talking about here Right, right. Yeah, Dan Lindstedt used to say, let, "Let's at least say managed self-service. It's not a free for all. It's not the wild west. We're not just you know giving people a SQL tool, or even even giving them Tableau or Power BI and a login to a database. That you know, that's a recipe for for disaster. You know, for people to start using." Data that they shouldn't be using, uh, exposing data they shouldn't be exposing, or even you know the the, the classic, oh I, I want data. Oh, here, there's some columns here. Here's some columns here. Put it on a report. Oh, wait a minute. There's there's no good join between those tables, and it runs for all weekend eats up your entire compute budget. Say you're running on Snowflake and it just, you know, the the cost is through the roof and it just, and it never returns anything. Well, why? Because you, you well that happened to be a 10 billion row and a 20 billion row table and you just cross join them. And it's just, yeah. It's good if you run those at 4 PM on Friday night and then go home for the weekend. Right. 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 And, 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 run them on a single cluster. Yes. Right. That there's surprising. no parallelism at all, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah no. That is, I think that's a that's a clarification point. So, um, I, I guess next up, I just want to ask you before we close out here, Sean, is like, what's what's up next for you? Uh, are you going to be speaking at any conferences or meetups or anything here? Is wither. Without Bark in the next couple of months, <laughs> yeah, I uh, you know I just this last week spoke, I uh, hosted
1: a really fun roundtable on LinkedIn that people can find in my profile, and it was this idea of uh, modernizing cloud stacks to impact and intersect with AI. Um, I'm on my way to Germany uh, in a couple of weeks to speak at the Bark uh, Data and Analytics Retreat, uh, just outside of Frankfurt. Uh, It's a wonderful sort of invitation-only event with about 40 uh, participants, all software executives. It's a great networking program uh, run by analysts and uh, should be fun. And then after that, I'm going to pop over to Amsterdam on the 12th and speak at an event about AI innovation. So you can tell what topics are top of mind for my world right
0: now. Oh, wow. Great. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, we're... We're out of time, uh, kind of a short show. I knew it'd be hard for us to cram cram a lot in, but we did manage to cram quite a bit into the 30 minutes. Um, thanks for for being on the show today, Sean. Um, thanks, everyone else, for for joining. Be sure to join us back here again in two weeks when my guest is going to be the self-described hardcore data nerd from the mean data streets, Chris Taub. Who's the co founder of Leet Data? They were the Sof- Snowflake SI Partner of the Year for EMEA last year. So be sure to join us for that. Also, make sure you go out and like the replays of our podcast here. Tell your friends about the True Data Ops podcast. And don't forget to check out TrueDataOps.org, where you can sign up for notifications so you don't miss any of the future shows. So until next time, this is Kent Graziano, the Data Warrior, signing off for now. Have a great week. Music